listening to the weekly podcast of Bethel Bible Church and Pastor Mark Kirkendall. We're so glad you've joined us today. And as always, you can find more information about the church at our website, BethelBible.com. You can find us on Facebook and even follow us on Twitter at Bethel Bible. Let's join Sunday service now. Church, you may be seated. My name is Mark Kirkendall, and I'm one of the leaders here at the White House campus And it is always great to see you each and every week. So last week we began a brand new series called Jesus Stories. And what we are doing, we are walking through several of the parables that Jesus taught. And we saw this last week that parables are simple word pictures. That's what a parable is. It's a simple word picture that illustrates profound spiritual lessons. It's a word picture, but there is so much There, But we saw last week, the very first parable we have, that in the middle of this, Jesus gives us the purpose, actually why we have these parables. And it's often what we think about, oh, is to help us to understand these big truths more. And that's part of it. That's one side of the coin of parables. But the other side, they serve the purpose of concealing truth for some. For some it's to reveal, and for some... It's to conceal truth. And we saw that it's dependent upon the soil or a person's heart. Whether it's revealing truth or concealing truth, it's all about the condition of our heart. So we saw two major things last week. One, that response to God's Word, how we receive it, is dependent upon the condition of our heart. And it's that very kind of famous parable of the four soils, the the rocky or the pathway. The, the hardened one. That's the person who just says, I don't care. Man, I may go through some motions, but deep down, man, I don't care about the things of Christ. There was that rocky soil, that shallow hearer, that just below the surface, man, things grow quickly, but that farmer knows that's a bad sign. Man, we might get excited for a while, but then we can quickly fade away. Or that thorny soil. And this is a person that hears it, and I think genuinely... Man, they want to care about the things of God. But man, then life kind of comes around and it just chokes the life out of them. Then the last soul was that good soul, the one that was that fruitful here, that they hear God's word and when it works with God's spirit, that it produces something far greater than we could ever imagine. So response to God's word is dependent upon the condition of our heart. But since that's true, the second thing we saw was that every time God's word is proclaimed, every time it is read, every time it is preached, every time it is studied, every time it is talked about, the next thing that happens is spiritual warfare. Every time God's word is looked at, studied, talked about, the next thing that happens is spiritual warfare because it is a constant battle that is going on in our hearts and minds. So this week, I want us to go back to that same chapter of Matthew 13. We're going to look at another parable. Actually, it's kind of three parables in one. We're going to begin in Matthew chapter 13, find verse 24. But as you're turning there, I want you to think about something, that just how a couple of words have such a tremendous impact. You take just a couple of words. When was the last time we actually stopped and thought about how we are moved and changed by just 
a few simple words. For example, I told you the nursery's full this morning. That's great. We need some of you to step in and, and serve there, but it's great. But remember when they're young and you first hear them say mama or something it sounds like it, and you're convinced, yeah, that's it, or daddy. And then you hear that, especially maybe in a room full, and you just know, oh, they're mine. And just that, those few words, how we are changed and impacted by that. Or you know that time where you really put in the effort? I mean, you work really hard, and that coach or that boss recognizes that, and you hear, great job. I mean, there's just something in you that changes and makes you want to even work harder. Or what about for the first time when you're at odds with someone? And you just know that tension's always there. Every time you see them, you wonder, am I going to see them today? Am I going to have to go through this again? But you finally hear someone say, I'm sorry. It's a few simple words, but then how everything begins to change and improve. What about hearing those words, I love you, for the first time? You know, I can still remember that day that Marla and I first said those words. Man, it was special, and you are forever changed by just a few simple words. It's crazy how just a few simple words can move us and make such a profound change in our lives. So this morning, I want to add two more. I want to add two words to our list of things that, few simple words, but how they have such a big impact on our lives. And here they are. There's more. Now you may be thinking, how in the world are those two words, how can those have an impact on our lives? How can those change us? Well, to see the answer, we have to go to the parable, beginning in verse 24, often called the parable of the weeds or the tares. So let's begin reading in verse 24. Like I said, it's actually three parables in one. Here's how the word begins. So he put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. While he was, his men were sleeping, the enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared also. And the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? He answered them, An enemy has done this. So the servants said to him, Then do you want us to go and gather them? He said, No, lest in gathering the weeds you uproot the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at harvest time, I will tell the reapers, gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into the barn. So this is a story that's to give us a greater understanding of the kingdom of God. What is it? How does it work? What is going on? It's to give us a greater understanding. And he says the kingdom of God is like a man who sowed, he planted good seed. But there's a problem. As the wheat began to grow, it sprouted, and then the workers noticed, oh wait, something's not right. There, there's something that should not be here. So the question is, why didn't the workers not just take the weeds out as it went along? You would think that would be a part of your job 
as a worker. But in verse 26, it says they did not even recognize the weeds until the wheat began to sprout. So the weeds looked just like the wheat until the very end. So the workers, they go to the master. They say, did you not plant good seeds? And the master knows that he did. And so immediately, I don't know how, but immediately he knows that the enemy has come under the darkness of night and planted weeds. Now, I was thinking about this week. What's interesting is that it's this enemy, and I don't know what the issue was, how they became enemies. Obviously, they know each other. But if the enemy really just wanted to destroy this neighbor, why didn't he just set the field on fire? I mean, he could have just burned it all, but instead he comes up with a plan that would be much harder to defend. So instead of just destroying the crops completely, he plants weeds that grow with the good seeds or the wheat. So the workers ask, Okay, do you want us to go out? Man, do you want us to now? We can separate the two. We can understand. We can see the wheat. We know the weeds. Do you want us to pull them up? And he says, no. And he gives us the reason in verse 29. He says, if you pull up the weeds, you cannot do that without uprooting the wheat or the good seed. So the solution, he says, wait. Wait until the wheat, when it comes harvest time, then the workers, then you'll be able to separate the two You will destroy the weeds, and you will bring the wheat into the barn. So here's what I want us to do. I want us to skip to verse 36. We're going to come back to the middle, but go to verse 36, and let's get the explanation. I I think you can begin to kind of see the application and, and the meaning behind it, but let's go to verse 36 and actually hear it from Jesus. Beginning in verse 36, it says, Then he left the crowds, and he went into... The house. This is Jesus. After he tells this, he goes into the house, probably at Caesarea, and his disciples came to him, not just the original twelve, but those that were still following him, came to him saying, Explain to us the parable of the weeds in the field. Now notice how the disciples' interest is growing. So last week, you know, he'd been teaching in the synagogues, he'd been teaching uh, on hillsides, and all of a sudden Jesus starts using these word pictures, and they noticed, and they said, why are you teaching in word pictures? And Jesus tells them. But now, they are asking, would you help us to understand? Please, Jesus, explain this to us. They're eager to learn more about God's word, and they found this soil, and now it wants to grow, and they want to know more and more. They want more and more understanding, and hopefully, man, that's what's true of us, that we would become people that we can't get enough of his word. So in verse 37, he answers them. Well, here's the meaning behind it all. The one who sows the good seed is the son of man. This is a common phrase used all throughout the Bible. At times, it can mean different things. And last week we saw the sower was identified, or was not identified, we didn't know who it was, just kind of a general term, but this week the sower, it's Jesus. Jesus in this parable is the sower. Jesus is the one that planted the good seed in the field. Verse 38, the field 
is the world. So the field this time is not the the heart of the hearer, but it's now the world. But notice who the seed is. So Jesus is the planter, the the one that owns it all. He's the one that has planted this field. The field is the world. And the good seed, notice it's singular. It's kind of got this all-inclusive thing. The good seed is the sons of the kingdom. So the seed now is not the word of God. The seed are the sons of the kingdom. The seeds are those that belong to Jesus. Those that the Father brought to him. The ones that Jesus will never lose. Those that Jesus has purchased with his very life and blood. Those are the sons of the kingdom. The good seed. But there's weeds. And there's also an enemy sower. Look at how the verse continues. The weeds... They're the sons of the evil one. And the enemy who sowed them is the devil. So the weeds are those that do not belong to Christ, but they belong to the evil one. The enemy then, the master is Satan or the devil. So here's the picture. The field. The field is the world. And in the world lives two groups. Those that Jesus planted the sons of the kingdom and those that are planted by the sons of the evil one those that do not belong to Christ but notice there is not a third group there are only two the previous chapter Matthew 12 Jesus says you're either for me or you're against me there is no neutral group there are only those that are sons of the kingdom And those that are not. There's no neutrality in this. But think back to the beginning of the parable. I want us to pull out quickly three kind of concealed, or we might say hidden truths. The first one is, it's often hard to tell the weeds from the wheat. Now put that in our context. The world is the field. There's good seed. There's evil seed. But oftentimes you can't tell the difference between the weeds or the wheat until the end. In fact, reading this week in the commentary by Craig Bloomberg, he says it this way. It's interesting to reflect upon the ways in which Christians and non-Christians likewise appear superficially similar. There's nothing in our physical appearance that necessarily changes when you become a follower of Christ. And because Christians, because they remain sinners throughout their lives, and because non-Christians often do many good things, it is often impossible to single out Jesus' followers in a crowd even by observing their public behavior. So sometimes it's just hard. It's hard to distinguish between the good seed and the evil seed, between those that were planted by Christ and those that weren't. Another thing that's interesting is that Satan, he cannot destroy the good seeds or the wheat. He can't do it. The only thing he can do is plant weeds among the wheat. He can't destroy the field. He cannot do it. But thirdly, good and evil, they've been allowed by God to coexist. 
If God wanted to destroy all the evil of the world, we know, we believe He could do that. But deep down, I mean, deep down, don't we really want God to kind of do that? Man, we get and we can turn on the news and we can see the evil and the hate that is going on. Even this morning, four uh, U.S. terrorists uh, uh, are the vacationing in, um, I think it's France. Guy on a subway just walks up, doesn't say a word, and throws acid in their face. We see injustice everywhere. We see how the world around us is normalizing things that the Bible tells us are sin. We even personally suffer from the evil that's in the world around us. And we want God to do something about it. We want Him to take up for us. We want Him to destroy the evil that is around us and make this place better. But God is allowing good and evil to coexist And there's always a reason behind it. In fact, he tells us in 2 Peter 3, verse 9, listen to what it says. The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Meaning God's delay in removing all evil is actually a gracious act of giving more people an opportunity to repent. And if you have done that, we need to be thankful that He has given us time. But God has a plan for allowing evil and good to coexist. And we have to trust that He knows what He's doing. There's also something else. Notice the plan at the end of verse 39. The harvest, that harvest time, he says, when I'm talking about that, I'm talking about the end of the age. And the reapers, they're the angels. So there's this plan, and this plan will be seen as a great harvest. And this is referencing the second coming of Jesus. I mean, the great thing about Scripture, it's, it's this same theme all throughout it. In fact, 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, beginning verse 7, tells us, And to grant relief to you who are afflicted. Man, that seems very parallel. Evil, standing alongside good, as well as to us. When the Lord is revealed from heaven with His mighty angels in a flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God, so the evil seed, the weeds, and on those who do not obey the gospel of the Lord, those that are sons of the evil one. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His might. When He comes on that day to be glorified in His saints and to be marveled at among all who have believed the good seed because our testimony to you was believed. So Christ is going to send His angels and now notice what they're going to do in verse 40. Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send His angels, and they will gather out of His kingdom all that causes sin and lawbreakers and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. 
then the righteous will shine like the sun of the kingdom of their father. He who has ears, let him hear. So the Son of Man, Jesus, is going to send his angels and then they gather all of the weeds, the sons of the evil one. And I want us to see two very important things. First, the weeds are gathered, and notice where they are gathered out of. It says they are gathered out of his kingdom. So the kingdom is the world, but whose kingdom is it? It belongs to Jesus. So the field, the world, belongs to the farmer, to Jesus. In that field grows wheat and grows weeds. It doesn't matter where that person, where that man lives on earth, wherever he lives, he finds himself on the property that belongs to Jesus. Whether there are wheat or there are weeds, one or the other, you are either a son of the kingdom or a son of the evil one. But the wheat and the weeds, they will mature. There will come a time when the farmer sends the harvesters into the field. And when that comes, I mean, when that comes, God's angels will separate the righteous, those that are in Christ, from the unrighteous, those who are without Christ. And even though Satan has power and he has influence now, it does not belong to Satan. Satan is not in charge. In the battle between God and Satan, it isn't equal forces, and we're just waiting to see who wins. Satan loses. Satan's seed in everything that causes sin, and those that are following him, they'll be weeded out and thrown into the fiery furnace. But know this. Satan cannot uproot one grain of wheat. Not one. He cannot do it. He can only plant weeds. The second thing, even though there is coming a day of reckoning when the angels, the harvesters will be sent, it's not bad news for everyone. It says the angels will gather all of the causes of sin and those that are following the evil one, meaning the traps of sin, will be taken away forever and the sinful They will be judged. But the righteous, those that are right with God, it says those that do God's will, they will shine like the sun. The great thing about this, this has always been God's plan. You can see the promise in Daniel 12 when he says, and those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above. And those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. Meaning those that belong to the kingdom, they will shine. The ruler, God, you know what he's going to do? He's going to lead those through eternity as their loving father. Meaning he knows the way through eternity and he will guide and lead his children perfectly without any interference from sin or Satan. And so this morning... We see that we have these, this parable, and we see two groups, the wheat and the weeds. There's no neutral group. There's nothing else. There's only wheat, and there are only weeds. And you're either a son of the kingdom or a son of the evil one. And the only escape from that harvest 
that place of weeping and gnashing of teeth is to be good seeds. But it's not talking about behavior. It is those that are planted by the farmer. He is our only hope. But did you notice that in between this parable, there's actually two others. In between the giving of the parable and the explanation, there's actually two other parables. And it's ones that we, I think, often hear about. So here's what I want us to do. Quickly, I want us to go to verse 31. Let's take that middle section and see how does this apply to that parable. Beginning of verse 31. He says, and he put another parable before them. The kingdom of heaven. So there's the same phrase. It is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and he sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds. When it is grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and it becomes a tree. So that the birds of the air, they come and they make their nest on its branches. And he told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and he hid, or she hid in three measures of flour, enough for a banquet, till it was all filled with yeast, or all leavened. Verse 34, and all these things Jesus said to the crowds in the parables. Indeed, he said nothing to them without a parable. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables, and I will utter what has been hidden since the foundation of the world. So the kingdom of heaven is also not just like a man who plants the wheat and weeds grow up and there's a harvest coming. It's also like a mustard seed and yeast. So mustard seed, it said it's the smallest of all the seeds, but it grows to be a tree. In fact, that is something remarkable because a mustard seed could grow into a shrub but it would never grow into a tree where birds could actually find a home and to make nest. In this yeast, it says it was hidden. It's mixed into a large amount of flour. And even though it is just a little bit, it says it leavens the entire batch. So what in the world does this have to do with the kingdom of God that we just looked at in that parable? When I read this and and I study through this, I believe Jesus does this because he knew his disciples well and he knows you well. I believe Jesus does this and he knows that we look at the world around us and we can so easily have a defeated mentality. We can look around and we can easily lose hope. We might even think, man, is God even in charge how can things get so bad does he even care or will God really come through on what he said and Jesus knows that we need to hear two simple words over and over and over again that we need to hear there's more we might hear about God's kingdom in the world and we might easily think man there does not seem to be much movement of God's spirit anymore Man, I read about stories back in the 60s and the 70s, maybe even the 80s. Man, it just seemed like God's Spirit was moving. Why doesn't it happen anymore? Well, there doesn't seem to be as many Christians who really care like there used to be. 
Man, I can remember back in the old days when things used to happen and we'd do this or that. Man, why don't Christians rise up again? We might look and think, man, evil is winning. Man, there's nothing that could ever stop it. But hear Jesus say, my kingdom is like a mustard seed. It's like a yeast and there's more. There's more than you can see. There's more than meets the eye. There is more than you could possibly understand right now. He says there's more. Because that mustard seed and that yeast, they portray this contrast between what present reality looks like and what ultimate reality in the kingdom will actually be. And we might be seen as small and and humble. Well, one day his kingdom, it'll be magnificent and glorious because there's more. And so these simple words, there's more. I want us to know they have more impact in our lives than we could imagine. So maybe for some of us, you're sitting right there and you're walking through life and You are just sick and tired of waking up each and every day and having to fight against the same temptation over and over and over. Every day, and you are just weary, and you just want to give in to feel better. You know what you tell yourself? You say, there's more. There's more freedom, and there's more strength coming my way. Or when you're called to invest your time, your energy, and your resources into the thing of Christ, into His church, but man, you're having a hard time holding on to the things of this world. You know what you can say? Say to yourself, you know, there's more. There's more to this life than the just here and now. Or what about our marriages when we just want to walk away? We should say there's more. There's more grace. There's more grace coming my way to make it. Or maybe it's a marriage that has completely fallen apart. You know what you say? There's more. There's more grace coming for healing. Parenting. When you feel like such a failure, say there's more opportunities coming for me to show them Christ. Or hurts. When the hurts just keep piling up and they keep coming and coming. And around here, we call it the land of a thousand cuts. And you just don't know that you can take any more. You can say there's more. There's more healing coming my way. Or in this Christian life that maybe you've been trying to follow Christ and you just don't know if it's worth it anymore. I mean, you're trying things and nothing seems to get better. Everybody around you seems to have it all together and you just keep falling more and more behind and you're trying with all that you can. Say there's more. There's more strength and joy ahead to not give up. And why is that? Because there's more to God's kingdom. Because in these parables, we see God's kingdom. It may seem unimportant because of all the things around us and we go, man, that seems so far off. Or it seems insignificant. Really, what difference does it make now? But the message that was proclaimed by that carpenter turned farmer, eventually turned preacher, it was all making an impact in the world. Because you know what he did? 
that carpenter turned preacher, he turned to a small group of insignificant, uneducated fishermen who were told, hey, you know what? Go and make disciples of all nations. And those followers set the world on fire with the message of salvation, which today is proclaimed in almost nearly every known language throughout the world. And so that tiny little bitty seed that was sown in Galilee and it's become a tree that today provides shelter and rest for people everywhere. But there's more. That tree of Christianity hasn't reached maturity yet. It's still growing. There's more. But I think sometimes that we get so focused here, if we would just simply lift our eyes a little bit, we would see, you know what? There's more. There's more than I can see. There's more than I can understand. This world is bigger than just me and my problems. And it's important to be reminded that there is more than just our lives. Thanks again for listening to the podcast today. We hope that you were blessed and encouraged. And if you have any questions or comments, we want you to let us know. Simply send your thoughts to questions at BethelBible.com. Thanks for spending time with us and be sure to join us next week on the Bethel Bible Podcast.